the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called Something Beautiful for God, discussing what the Bible says about humanity, sexuality, marriage, and procreation. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. Let's first give our attention to Genesis 2. We're going to read from verse 18 through the end of chapter 2. Following then, the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's take a look also at Mark chapter 10. This is where Jesus tells us about uh, divorce and remarriage. Mark chapter 10 says this, And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And the crowds gathered to him again and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up in order to test him and asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. 
And then let's also take a look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. In his book, The Meaning of Marriage, Tim Keller opens with some, to me, striking statistics. He notes that the leading indicators of marriage have been in steady decline over the course of the last 50 or 60 years. One of the things that he reports is that the divorce rate is nearly twice the rate that it was just in 1960. In 1970, 89% of all births were to married persons, but today only about 60% of births are to people who are married. 72% of American adults were married in 1960. In 2008, only 50% of American adults were. Today, that number is about 48%. About 48% of American adults are married. The USA Today reports that in 2000, 8.2 Americans were married for every 1,000 people. By 2017, only 6.9 Americans for every 1,000 people were married, a substantial percentage decrease only in 17 years. Today, more than half of all people cohabitate before marriage. Almost no one did in 1960. And the average age of a first marriage also continues to go up. In 1960, the average age that a woman was when she was married for the first time, so this is not taking into consideration second marriages, but a woman on average was 20 years old when she got married in 1960. Today, the average age is about 28. In 1960, the average guy was about 22 when he got married. Today, the average age is about 30. I was 31, so I'm pulling that up a little bit, I have to admit. Aubrey was much younger, so she's pulling down the average Parents are um, having children later and later, and the birth rate is declining. In 1950, the average family had about four kids. Today, the average is less than two. The birth rate in the USA today is 1.77 births per woman. Replacement rate is 2.1. More than that, the USA has had rapidly changing attitudes about marriage. No-fault divorce was introduced for the first time in the country in 1970 in California. 
signed by Ronald Reagan, and marriage was redefined in 2015 by the Supreme Court in the Obergefell decision. So why do I start by saying all of this? I say it to illustrate the fact that attitudes on marriage have shifted rapidly over the course of the last two generations of American life. And as people who live within this country, you and I have our own souls formed by this culture, a culture that fundamentally doesn't understand what marriage is any longer and isn't seeing any particular use of it. These attitudes permeate the church. It's it's likely that your own thinking on marriage may be quite radically different than the attitude that your great-grandparents had. Some of those changes might be good. No era ever has a perfect understanding of marriage, and the goal for us should not be to recover a perfect understanding of marriage that we assume the 1950s had, or the 1850s, or the 1750s, or the 1650s, nor should it be for us to reach for the presumed understandings of marriage that culture may have in 2050, or 2150, or 2250, should the Lord tarry. The goal for us, as the people of God, who acknowledge mistakes in every era and see rapid change in our present era, should be to be people who understand what the Bible says about marriage, so that we might faithfully live as Christians in an age where people simply don't know what it looks like to live faithfully as Christians. And so we're going to be building on much of what we talked about already through this series. Our discussions of image of God, maleness and femaleness, of body and of covenant will all come into play as we bring them home to talk about marriage. And our final two sermons for this first section of the sermon series, which are going to be taking place over the course of the next few weeks, are, uh, are two aspects of marriage that are themselves fundamentally tied to each other, sex and children. So today we'll be talking about marriage and we'll be concluding by talking about those two things. So let's start with the essence of marriage. There are several aspects of the essence of marriage. So let's work through them one at a time to see what Genesis says and to see what the Lord Jesus says. One of the things that I hope that you noticed as we read those three different passages in scripture today is that Genesis lays out the foundation for what marriage is. In Genesis 2, we're actually given the first marriage. And when the Lord Jesus in Mark chapter 10 is talking about marriage, he quotes Genesis chapter 2 to explain what marriage is. And when Ephesians chapter 5 is talking about the essence of marriage for men and women, it quotes Genesis chapter 2 as the foundation for all marriages because this is the way that God designed marriage before the fall. This is how God intended it to be. And there are several aspects, several aspects of marriage. Let's take them one at a time. The first thing that you notice is that one of the essential aspects of marriage is difference. You can see this explicitly said by the Lord Jesus in Mark chapter 10, verse 6. And you can see it in, uh, in Genesis chapter 2 as well. Mark chapter 10, verse 6 says, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. When God designed the first marriage, he intended it to be a marriage that signified difference. The man and the woman were made different ways and and they were made to come together in marriage so that the two different halves could come together to make one unified whole. 
two aspects of those made in the image of God. God made two. He made men and he made women, and and marriage is intended to contain one of each. I still remember when my high school religion teacher at Milwaukee Lutheran High School was teaching us about marriage. He said, make sure you marry someone who is as similar to you as possible. And he, he used this phrase, I still remember, he said, differences attract and then drive each other crazy. So make sure that you marry somebody as similar as possible. And that was what operated in my mind for much of my life following that instruction in senior year religion class. And there are some things that absolutely must be similar. For you to marry a person, that person must also share a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. There needs to be a fundamental agreement and a sharing of Christian faith for there to be a Christian marriage. But the striking thing about what both Genesis says and what Jesus says is that Jesus doesn't care as much about similarities as he does about differences. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now more from Pastor Derek in our series called Something Beautiful for God, discussing humanity, sexuality, marriage, and procreation. When Jesus talks about marriage, he begins with he created them male and female, telling us that marriage is intended to be between a man and a woman. He calls our attention back to the order as God intended it to be, created both in the image of God, men and women. But there's this necessary difference that exists in marriage. God made a bride and a groom to be different. He made one to be a man and the other to be a woman. And this difference is fundamental, is beautiful, and is necessary. Now, having said that, differences can be sources of frustration. Men and women tend to interact in different sorts of ways, communicate in different sorts of ways, and place different valuations on different things. And so... Those essential differences in your own marriage may sometimes create conflict. As I look out on all of the married people who are here today, you're all fantastic, but none of you is perfect. I'm guessing that your maleness or femaleness or ways that you operate may cause some measures of frustration or discord or difficulty in the course of a marriage. One of you may anticipate that the other should communicate in this way, and the other might think, no, it should be a different sort of way. But one of the things I want to encourage you in is this. As you recognize those differences, give thanks to God for the ways that you are different, because difference is one of the necessary aspects of marriage. And it's good, and it's beautiful, and as challenging as it is, it's the way that God formed and fashioned us. And so let's thank God in the midst of and because of our differences. The second thing that the scriptures give us that are essential to marriage is there needs to be an exit. Marriage, according to Jesus, involves leaving. In verse 5, Jesus said to, in, uh, Jesus, or in verse 7, Jesus says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. 
He's quoting Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Marriage, according to Genesis chapter 2, and according to Jesus in Mark chapter 10, involves leaving. It involves an exit. The primary relationship for every person that is in a marriage needs to be your spouse. There should be no best friend that's a better friend than the spouse is. I was talking to one of my friends, a good friend named named Kent, a while back, and, and I asked him, hey, how's married life going? And he said something that I thought was really, really interesting. He said, you know, there was, a, there was a lot of contention in our marriage for about the first six, maybe eight, maybe nine months. I was like, really, why was that? And he said, well, you know, I kind of saw myself as an ambassador. His name was Kent Woodyard. He married a woman named Becky Field. He said, I saw myself as an ambassador of the Woodyard family, and she saw herself as an ambassador of the Field family. And we would come together and just hammer out all these sorts of differences with our primary allegiance still being to our parents' families. He said, about nine months in, we realized what we were doing, and we said, now this is fundamentally opposed to the way that God calls us to live. When we're joined together as husband and wife, we're called to leave our families and begin a new one. And so he said, so starting about month nine, we started with something really intentional. And that was, we said, we are Kent and Becky. We are our own family. And any kind of communication the family receives from us or any determination we make about extended family living needs to be subjected to the primary relationship, which is me and my wife, me and Becky, he said. I thought that was a beautiful grasping of what can often happen in families. My grandmother said the same thing had to happen when she and my grandpa got married. She said she and he had to sit down and have a conversation. She said, Bill, your parents only go to church once on Sunday. We'll go to church twice on Sunday. That's going to be what we're characterized, not by those liberal bucoma practices that you are used to. And so they determined how things were going to be for their own family, right? They would determine how their own types of practices were going to be. That is an essential aspect of marriage. It's also actually something that's really hard. I mean, for all of you parents there who have experienced a child being married, I'm assuming that the tendency will want to still be to hold on to that child as one of your own. It's got to be different. It's got to be difficult to say to your son or to your daughter, you know what? Your primary relationship is with your husband or with your wife now. And so you need to determine what's right before we make, you know, any demands on you. It's hard as a child You've spent your whole life up to this point being a part of your parents' household. You've developed traditions and expectations that come from being a part of that family. And it can be really challenging to bring those to an end and say, my spouse must be primary. Not my parents, but my spouse. There can be a lot of tension that exists within families because it's hard It's hard to know the right way to exist as a part of an extended family. It's really difficult. I was talking to a marriage counselor, and he said that the biggest, the biggest, the three biggest things that can tear marriages apart are money is number one, probably not a surprise. Children 
are number two. And now this gets at different expectations in terms of the way that you were raised and what a mom and dad should be for your own children. Because we bring in our own extended family expectations, that can become you know, a conflict point in marriages and can lead to frustration as husbands and wives try to incorporate their assumed ways of operating in a new way of acting. The third, he said, the third big thing that can tear families apart are, and this is the one that surprised me, holidays. Holidays. He said that the husband and the wife both come from families who have expectations of interaction during holiday times, and trying to live up to and into those expectations can tear husband and wife apart as they feel responsible to their extended family. A fundamental aspect of marriage is that you leave, that you leave your parents' household. And that means that parents, one of the things that you can give your child that is a great gift is removing expectations about what your kid and your kid-in-law is going to do with your family on holidays. I understand that that might be incredibly difficult, but it's one of the things that can threaten marriages. And for a husband and wife that have been joined together, this new relationship must be primary. Because you'll make shipwreck of your marriage if you still see yourself as fundamentally a part of your parents' family and not a part of a new situation and arrangement. An exit, an exit is the second thing that Jesus notes about marriage. The third is unity, unity. And in Mark chapter 10 and in Genesis chapter 2, both of these are extolled as well. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Now, this unity also comes and is a result of the way that God marriage designed marriage to be, right? It's designed to be this union between a husband and a wife, and when the two come together, it creates a new one, a new unity, a new whole. This means that there must be two and only two in a marriage. A marriage is not intended to be one man and many women, or one woman and many many men. It's called to be one man and one woman, because only in that arrangement can there be the one flesh union as God designed it to be. The unity that God calls us to is a unity that expects difference and expects two. Jesus makes that clear. And in fact, the way that he speaks interprets for us Genesis chapter 2. I just want to read to you again the way that Jesus makes a slight interpretive distinction as he quotes Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's verse 24 of Genesis chapter 2. Did you hear that? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Notice the way that Jesus provides some interpretive clarification as he quotes this section of Scripture. Jesus says in Mark 10 verse 7, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. God 
the Son, Christ Jesus makes it extremely clear that it's not just they, it's two become one. That's marriage math for you. It's two holes becoming one whole. It means that as you're joined together as husband and wife, that simply leaving your parents does not equal being united to each other. It means that you live together, that you spend time together, and are joined as one together. One of the things that can come develop in a marriage is that two people live as two separate individuals. I've heard it said before, you know, I'm going to get married, but I'm still going to keep all of my hobbies, all of my nights out, and all of my friends. And some years down the path, two or three or four or seven, they find, you know what? It just turned out that we were kind of roommates. And sometimes I'm like, well, it's because you never really became one. You decided you were going to keep your old ways of operating. You didn't become one. You were two that became two. It means that there needs to be a spiritual uniting. That means that church should be something that's attended together. If you're watching on live stream, I have a fantastic suggestion for you of a church that you and your spouse could attend. That suggestion is Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. So keep worshiping with us through the live stream or come and join us. Write us and we can tell you how to register. It, ta- it means an emotional uniting. It means that there should be a romantic aspect to marriage. And it means a physical uniting. Marriage, you see, is a covenant. And God has made a covenant sign to be a part of the marriage union. You can be married and not wear a wedding ring. The covenant sign of marriage is the physical union that's reserved just for husbands and for wives. The kind of joining together that should be an aspect of the marriage bed. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.